Welcome to the Art of Mathematics. I'm Carol Jacoby, and joining me today is Josh Hallam, Assistant Professor of Mathematics at Loyola Marymount University. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thank you for having me on. Josh, I understand you're interested in creative works in mathematics, and most people probably don't think of mathematics as being creative. And you've actually done some of this in your class. Uh, I've done a few different projects where I try to embed some creative things into the into the courses. So probably one of the easiest examples, sort of the basic way you can do this, or I've done in the past, is in a calculus course where I've had students uh, where they have to come up with a short story in which the plot is moved forward using some ideas from calculus. And it has to be something significant to the plot. So it can't be like there's a, there's a character in the in the story that it happens to be a calculus and it has to be something that where something is really being pushed forward. And so I've had some really fun uh, experiences with this. So usually the students, they, they create the short story and they can sort of tell it in different formats. They can write it down like a written short story. They can uh, act it out and record it as like a short 10 minute video or something. And some of the, the things that I've seen in the past that was really fun. So for example, one of the groups did a uh, CSI calculus. So it was like CSI, but Everything was revolved around calculus problems. And it was really funny because the students had a good time just kind of riffing off the overacting that you kind of see in CSI sometimes. It was just a fun thing to see those students. But another one that I was going to share with is one of these examples is a written short story that students had come up with. And in this story, the main plot of the story was it was I was in the story as a professor. They were in the, the students were in the story too. And I get kidnapped by someone and they have to solve clues to find me. In the story, they come across a cell phone and attached to the cell phone is like a sheet of paper with this riddle on it. And I'll just read the riddle. And I guess if people want to pause and try to solve the riddle, they could. So here's the riddle. It says, uh, if dear Josh you wish to find, then answer me this simple rhyme. Take the day of Gauss's end and add the years from one till then. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to pause and try to figure out that riddle, you can. I can read it one more time just in case, but it says, if dear Josh you wish to find, then answer me the simple rhyme. Take the day of Gauss's end and add the years from one till the end. And so if you want to know the answer to it, basically what happens is the, the riddle is asking you to take the numbers one plus two up to whatever year Gauss died, which was uh, 1855. And what you do to solve the riddle, you add one plus two and up to 1855. And the number you get, I don't remember what it is, but it's a seven digit number, which in the story they use to call, they use a cell phone to call that number and get their next clue. And what I love about that, it's one of my favorite things I've ever seen a student create. One of the things I loved about it was they were taking this idea in calculus of adding, you know, adding these integers up and getting uh, the sum and referencing Gauss within the riddle, which, so there's this story that as a child, Gauss was given this problem. He was a, a young uh, school kid in school and his keep him busy, his teacher asked him to add the numbers one through hundred. And at first he thought Gauss was gonna take forever to do this. He's gonna think he's gonna just do it by hand, but Gauss figures out a clever way to do it. And we had just talked about this in class. And so the fact that they use Gauss in that story, in that riddle, I think the answer for the riddle was just so much fun. And that was like one of my favorite things I've seen a student create, which maybe seems weird because it's not math, it's not really mathematics. It's like a creative use of mathematics, but it was, it blew my mind when I read that riddle. And it was a, that was a lot of fun seeing that. That's brilliant. It even came out the right link to be a phone number. It, it is a phone number. Yeah, exactly. It was just, it just happened. It was so great that it's a seven digit number so that you can kind of, that it makes sense to do that. 
so in addition to the to the calculus example, one of the classes I've taught a lot has been a uh, an introduction to proof course. So it's these are courses for undergraduates. They typically take their freshman or sophomore year, so they can learn how to write mathematical proofs. So most of the time, my students are mathematics students or computer science students, one of those two. And one of the ideas that we really try to push in that class is the idea of how important definitions are in mathematics. Because to prove things, you really have to understand definitions, right? Like if you ask someone what an even number is, I bet a lot of people will tell you, yes, it's like a number like two or four. If you ask them, you give them a number, ask them, is it even? They can tell you. But if you ask them what's the definition of even, they sometimes struggle to come up with one that really encapsulates everything. And so of course, to be able to prove things in mathematics, we have to completely understand the object. And so that's why definitions are so important. And so this project I've, I've been doing for the last uh, maybe like three or four years is based on Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. So Asimov was a famous science fiction author in the 20th century. He's famous for these Three Laws of Robotics. Um, if you've seen the movie iRobot that was centered around his work. Basically, these are laws that he came up with in which robots would interact with humans in the future. And they were sort of like fail safes to prevent the robots from doing things that seemed bad. And basically the, the three laws are, the first law is basically robots cannot harm humans or through an action allow humans to come to harm. The second law is that the robots have to follow the orders given to them by humans unless it conflicts with the first law. And the third law is the robots have to protect their own existence unless it conflicts with the second, or first or second law. And so for their project, they had to come up with stories where the definitions were not correct in the robot's mind. And so things went unexpectedly. So for example, for a robot to understand the three laws, it needs to, of course, know what a human being is or know what harm is. And so the students got to play around with those ideas of like how difficult it actually is to define, for example, a human. It's actually rather hard to actually define what that means or what does it mean to harm? Right. And so you come up, so the students come up with these really clever ways in which these rules are not technically broken because the robot doesn't understand what a human is, but unexpected things happen. And strangely enough, one of the most common themes in those is people falling in love with robots. So the robots trick them into falling in love, and the robots don't realize it's anything wrong with that. And then, like, there's, they don't think they're harming the humans because they don't think of an emotional or mental uh, harm as actual harm, they only think of it as physical harm. And so there's, there's these, this plethora of stories that the students have come up with where um, all these really interesting ideas are played around with like how hard it is to define these things and how easy it is to have a bad definition result in unexpected consequences. And for, for me, it's such a fun thing to see the, those types of stories. Another example would be, uh, I get to teach a lot of courses for, um, or I've taught some courses for, for people who want to be elementary school teachers. And in those courses, I've had the students create short stories that teaches mathematics to, to young children in a ways that don't like require um, heavy mathematics background. So, and they actually create the book, they create a physical copy of the book so they can show, show kids. So for example, one of the groups last time I taught it came up with a this story where these monsters were having a having people over they're having a party these are friendly monsters and they're having a party and the whole thing is a whole uh learning about like how to partition integers and it's really beautifully done really well um, illustrated and it's just a fun way for the students to show off those mathematics to, to young children 
And maybe the final one I'll just mention is I've had students also create like museum exhibits to show off mathematics to the general public. That one's a tough one. I think this it's hard to like create an actual physical object to explain mathematics, but in a way that doesn't require like knowing any mathematics. Um, we're not any mathematics, we're very basic mathematics. But I think it's a really fun way to engage the public. Whereas the public might see mathematics as a lot of just a lot of equations. We have these like physical things that like, people can play around with and kind of learn some mathematics. And that's been fun in the past too. What kind of things did you get out of that? Let's see, there was one where they were trying to teach this idea of what a, a bijection is. So bijection is just a special type of function. Um, and the way they were doing that was by taking, it, they had this exhibit called Bijection Village. And they had a group of people uh, that lived in the village and a group of jobs that the people had to be matched up with. And their display was uh, like sort of this big board and they had uh, drilled like screws partially into the board and then attached like a zip cord that has a little key ring on the end of it. So I could like actually draw it over and attach it to the other side. A little bit hard to describe, but it basically it's like you can pull a string that's attached to a key ring and then attach it to the screw on the other side. So like do a matching between people on one side and the jobs on the other. And they had different scenarios based on like how many people were in the village and how many jobs there were. They're supposed to get to this idea like to really be able to match it up perfectly, you have to have the same number of people and the same number of jobs, which I'm mathematically saying is like you can't have a to have a bijection between these finite sets, they have to have the same size. And so like showing that visually and, and physically was really cool. I mean, that was a really fun project that it wasn't like uh, really in-depth mathematics, but it was a fun, you could actually like move things. And so why do you do this rather than just a more conventional math class? It sounds like great fun. Well, I would say maybe number one, maybe this isn't number one, but it is my first thought is just fun. It is a lot of fun and you really do get to see a different side of your students than what you normally might see. Some people really come out and just show like they're really, um, I don't know, just a really different side of them that you don't get to see. Uh, I was really fortunate a couple of years ago, uh, I had a few students who were double majoring in math and something in uh, film. And they made this beautiful like, like film, they scored it, they have like, I mean, well, good transitions. And like, that was so cool to be able to see something that they created. like that you don't really get to see like when you're, you know, when you're just grading an assignment, you don't see that as much. You don't get to see that grade. So like, one thing is it's fun. It's fun for me. I think it's fun for the students too. And we always make a point of having the students share it with each other. So we have a night where we all present the projects and they get to show off to each other what they see. But I think in a more serious, so like a more, uh, more serious answer to that is that I think to be able to, um, to be able to really do something like that creative works where you're really showing off using mathematics in a clever way. And you're sort of, you really got to understand the material in a much deeper way than just a service. Okay, I've seen it before. I can memorize it for a test. I'd like to go back to that example with that riddle with Gauss. I think those students really did understand what we were doing about adding these numbers one, two, up to some value then, because otherwise it'd be hard to embed that in a story. And I think that to be able to embed mathematics in a creative way, you have to really understand it. And I like to, at least I hope that the students are getting a deeper level, right? A deeper conceptual understanding of the material than they would have if we had done something a little bit more traditional. Not that the traditional is not important. It's not like we just only do creative works, right? But uh, this is a fun little project that they get to do in the semester as well. Does this make them into better mathematicians, do you think? For a variety of reasons, the general public may not feel that 
mathematics is as a creative subject as it might that it really is. I think mathematicians know this because we spend a lot of time creating new mathematics, which requires creative approaches to problems. And although we're not in these creative works projects, they're not creating new mathematics really, they are seeing uh, how you can use mathematics in a different way, in a creative way. They're not just using it to say, find, you know, like find a derivative or factor a polynomial. They're like thinking, how do I embed this in this story? And I hope that that, that allows them to see how you can be creative with mathematics. So I, I'm hopeful that it makes them better mathematicians. And if anything, I hope it makes them just feel like mathematics is fun. Yeah, it probably will because it seems that most mathematicians don't get to see the creative side until they're into doing research in graduate school or something. So for undergraduates to be able to see something playful mm -hmm. and creative in mathematics is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it is one of the difficulties with mathematics is that to really to get into that research level, there's so much you have to learn before you can get to the sort of forefront that makes it hard to sort of appreciate the creativity without doing something that's not necessarily cutting edge mathematics. Something else you mentioned when we were talking earlier was pop culture. I wouldn't think there'd be much math in pop culture for a lot of the reasons you're talking about. Yeah, that's that is true. I think that uh, if you compare mathematics to biology or physics or astronomy, you hear news stories about biology, uh, you hear news stories about physics and astronomy, but you don't really hear a lot of stories about mathematics. And part of that is I think that it's difficult to talk about mathematics, like cutting edge mathematics in a way that's as easy to understand as like the way we hear about some new observation in space or something like that. Um, but there, I think there are some, there are definitely some references. So like, and I should say, like, I'm certainly not an expert at all in this type of area. This is mostly just what I know from what I've seen in pop culture and like what I grew up with. But well, one, one of the examples I should say first is like one of the most prominent examples is probably like a TV show like Numbers, which was a show in which there was a mathematician who I think, I think it was the FBI, it was some sort of law enforcement group. He worked with them to help solve crimes using mathematics, which was a really cool and novel way to show how mathematics can be really applied to other things like law enforcement. I think that was a cool show. I think they did show off some pretty interesting mathematics. It's a little bit unrealistic in how quickly he was able to solve mathematics, but I think that that's, you can't have a story where the mathematician sits in a room for a few months and, and then solves a crime. That's not as exciting. So I understand that, but I think things like, like numbers, there's also things like the Big Bang Theory, which is, I guess, about physicists, but I mean, they do a lot of mathematics. But for me growing up, I think the two that I really gravitated growing up with were The Simpsons and Futurama. So uh, The Simpsons, I, I grew up in the 90s, so I watched a lot of The Simpsons. But a lot of the people who wrote for The Simpsons uh, were actually mathematicians uh, or had some sort of mathematical background. And so there's a lot of math jokes that span the, the show. I mean, the show is still on, I guess, but they embed a lot of math jokes in there. But also the, this show, Futurama, which is uh, made by some of the people who made The Simpsons. It's about like, it's like a thousand years in the future and these people work for this sort of scientist. And there's some really cool mathematics in that uh, show in Futurama. In fact, one of the episodes, the people who wrote the story created a theorem and proved it to make sure that the plot in the story made sense. And so I think like that to me was a really cool fact that they like actually had to come with something new and prove it they were so intense about making sure the mathematics was correct that they actually made sure that they, what they were saying could happen actually, or what they said did happen could actually happen. 
of course, I mean, obviously, like, so the story is basically like there's this, this, they create this machine that can swap minds between bodies. And of course, that's obviously not possible. So they can swap minds between two people. But once they swap minds between two people, they can't swap those two people back. And so the, the question is, is it po once you do enough swappings, is it possible to get back to the original configuration by maybe having new people come in and start swapping with the machine? And there's this whole theorem that they prove that, yes, you can do it, and you only need two more people. And I think it's amazing that they went through all the detail to do that. And apparently, this was a new result, uh, something that wasn't known at the time. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So the, the, the proof is not like super, super complicated. It's just some, some nice little group theory about permutations. But I love that they spent the time to think about that, to think about, is the mathematics correct? Does this make sense? That's great. I'll paste the link to that episode on the website, The Art of Mathematics podcast. Well, I guess I should, I should have mentioned a book called Flatland, which came out at the end of the 1800s, I guess. And it's a story about these objects that live in a land that's only two-dimensional. So it's like sort of social satire. But the mathematics of it is also really cool because in, in the story, it's told to this narrator who's the square, square. And he goes, he has a dream where he lives in a one-dimensional world. And the people in the one-dimensional world don't believe that he's a square because they can't see that he's a two-dimensional figure. And then he has another dream where he goes into a three-dimensional world. And it's just like kind of blows his mind that like, there is a three-dimensional world. And it's an interesting perspective on different dimensions in geometry. And it always helps me to think about, like, whenever I try to think about things like higher dimension, like what is a fourth dimension, it's very hard to think about. But, like, imagine what it would be to think about if you were a two-dimensional or a three-dimensional object, like, throughout the story kind of helps out a little bit. And so that was, certainly that preceded all the other examples since it was written in the, the late 1800s. Well, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a puzzle or something else that you'd like to share on the air, leave a voice message at anchor.fm slash theartofmathematics with hyphens or email me at cjacoby at jacobyconsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.